Welcome everyone. It's great to have you here for another episode of Talking Insights. This time with a very special location, a very special episode. It's the first day we are in Singapore for the SMR APAC Asia Pacific event and great guests as always here at the, at the podcast. So I'm here with Andrew and uh, with Adrian. Hi. It's great to have you here. Thanks okay. for joining. Thank uh, you. Just, will you just introduce yourself for, for our audience? You yeah. go first, Andrew. Who goes first? All right, I'll, go, I'll start. Uh, my name is Andrew Joseph and I work with Quantum Consumer Solutions and we're a India-based multinational firm. I've been working with the firm for 25 years and I head the India business. So, yeah. I'm Adrian. Um, I work very closely with Anju. I represent the Tara Group, which is India's largest uh, conglomerate uh, with presence across the world, uh, 30 operating companies, over 80 brands and, uh, you know, across 12 major sectors. And we were talking right before starting the recording, we were talking about some of the strategies that you implemented after the pandemic, after the COVID-19 crisis, uh, some stories that might be interesting for everyone listening. Who would like to go first? So Adrian, why don't you start? Yeah, I think by working with uh, very, very talented researchers like Anju and her colleagues and other researchers across the, uh, across the research and insights industry as well, we realized that not just after the pandemic, but in the very midst of the pandemic, we needed to constantly study and reset our understanding of what was happening to consumers in their lives and in their minds, because this to us was the great reset, uh, not just of how people looked at the world, but how people looked at themselves as well. So what we actually did is we did a digital ethnography study because you couldn't travel at that time to understand what was changing fundamentally with consumers because we knew that post pandemic and we knew the from from past times from previous pandemics that the pandemic would come to an end you'd have to understand or be on this bridge of understanding to then understand how consumers were going to behave after the pandemic and i think that continuity allowed us to gauge what customers were what people as people were changing in their lives and how their attitudes beliefs and behaviors therefore were likely to change and you know what we fundamentally noticed during the pandemic was that the 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 human not just the consumer had changed actually forever some some changes were probably more obvious than others and but one of the fundamental consumption trends we picked up was experimentation right so just like adrian uses many research agencies uh, you know the consumer is also very experimentative and you know is using many many brands and categories and i think that was a dramatic shift from earlier and what that meant was from a research point of view from an understanding point of view one would need to reframe uh, you know how you define your demo demographic, who do you speak with, and what your tasks also as marketeers becomes very different, right? Like, because it's about how do you deepen engagement as opposed to create deeper loyalty. So I think that was a, that was a major shift in the pandemic. Was there any specific strategy that you think worked more better than, than others? Uh, to to attract customers. So, you know, I think the, the, the shift was very, uh, before the pandemic, the conversations that brands had was very one way, right? Like the brand told the consumer what to do. I think uh, engaging the consumer, having a dialogue, having conversations with the consumer, getting them to co-create, I think was a, was a big, uh, big strategy that worked. I don't know. I, I also found very interesting, Anju, the fact that, the, you know, suddenly the home became the center of the universe. Hmm. The home became the retail outlet, the home became the office. Office, the home oh, yeah. became the the marketplace in which you made choices, and you could see in that one uh, one zone how 
different family members uh, influenced each other. Media suddenly became very, very important, but also also very, very focused. So it was very interesting for us as marketers to re-understand or reimagine how the home can be used. And I think that continues to today. Of course, there is the classical regression to mean where people will revert to some behaviors because humans are, after all, human beings. But these changes, these adaptive, uh, I think, variations now open up for us many, many new opportunities that brands are using. I mean, the, the best trend that I've seen continue and become very persistent and large is, for instance, D2C brands. Hmm. Can you elaborate more? What's the D2C? Yeah, so earlier D2C brands played in very, very small niches, right? And they competed against national brands and they would never challenge national brands in terms of uh, threatening their market share. But what has happened to the great experimentation that Andrew was, I think, so perceptively talking about is that consumers are now more willing to break through the purchase funnel and not just go through the whole process of awareness, trialing, then buying. You buy first and then you figure out whether you like the brand or no. And you buy it uh, online or on Instagram, you know, the D2C brand comes, you tweet about it, you review it, you tell your friends and then decide whether you want to continue with it or no. So I think this this uh, inversion of the purchase funnel is now more prominent and persistent than ever before. And why do you think is that? Well, I think the cost of experimenting, like Anju said, and I, I, I'll ask Anju to talk about you know how experimenting itself has changed, has gone down dramatically. Today, when you at the cost, and by cost, I don't just mean money; I also mean effort. The effort to search out or seek out a brand of T-shirt that you may like and click in two clicks or one click, pay for it and get it. That effort and cost has gone down dramatically because most D2C brands don't pay for retailer margins. They don't pay for stores. And all of that is passed on to consumers. So the cost and effort of experimentation, I think, has accelerated experimentation itself. Anju? Yeah, and I think to add to that, I feel like there's been a shift in value orientation, right? Like, so you want to affiliate with brands that reflect your meaning system mm. you want to affiliate with brands that are like you you know mm. uh, so i think therefore the search is very uh, uh, you know consistently on so i'm not just looking at a functional conversation mm-hmm. but i'm also looking at a values conversation right and in that context i think d2c play, d2c brands direct to consumer brands uh, plays a big role because it's able to address very um, uh, you know very well defined populations in a very targeted manner and digital allows you to exhibit your affiliation, isn't it? You That's know, right. I, I like this brand because yes. it does this. Yes. So your, that brand becomes a badge far faster and far more, uh, I think, widely uh, demonstrated than it would in a traditional way where people don't know which brands you're consuming. You're, you're buying, talking, advocating for the brand on the same in the same you know 16 by 9 frame uh, or mm-hmm. vertically on Instagram. What do you think it was the contribution that the, the pandemic brought to it. Did it play a role in, yes. this, in this shift? Yes, like uh, like the whole, we, we moved, uh, like, like Adrian was saying, one is that we moved from the outer space to our mm. homes. And the other is that we moved from offline to online, right? So our, uh, like our entire lives uh, mm-hmm. and how we felt, what our anxieties were, everything just moved uh, you know, into that screen, right? Like, so that, that I think was a, was a major shift uh, that led to dramatic changes in the marketing world. And I think Adrian, uh, you know, will talk about the many sleepless nights he's had as a result <laughs> of that drastic shift. I think the difference was earlier, you looked at the world through that screen, right? And suddenly in the pandemic, you became very comfortable with the world looking at you through that screen. So that that inversion, uh, that switch 
uh, I think has brought about a very different kind of consumer behavior where we want to talk about the brands we consume. We see these brands as badges of our beliefs. We see these brands as megaphones uh, as well as hearing aids. We're listening to the world, but we're talking to it as well. And now that we are outside, now that the pandemic is over since almost two years now, we are back traveling, we are back in Singapore, Singapore yes. in Asia Pacific yes. for four years. It's the first event that we're having. Uh, as it's, this shift is still uh, fun fundamentally changed, so we expect these this, this changes to keep to, to stick with us for some time to come, um, or will they disappear? No, I, I think I think they will persist. I think we're already seeing it. You know, before the pandemic, omnichannel was an option. Mm -hmm. uh, after the pandemic, omnichannel is ubiquitous. It's the way we live our lives, right? We search for something online, we then GPS our way to it, we go and buy it, we then buy some of that online, we uh, tweet or TikTok about it, we do our reviews, we ask people in real time whether they think this looks good on us or whether we should buy this product. I think this has now become the way we live. It's not it's not one of the ways we live, it is the way we live, at least in big urban settings. You just mentioned Omnichannel, can you explain, can you elaborate a bit more? Yeah, I think Omnichannel looks at the entire consumer journey from start to finish as one continuous flow rather than discrete and separate events. And when you're looking at Omnichannel, the marketer and brand has to realize that the consumer's interaction with the brand and other people who, who either make the brand available or consume the brand sits across many, many touch points. It is in this linear old world of seeing an ad, going to the store, asking someone, buying it, mm -hmm. and then either not buying that product again or buying it again or switching, right? It is simultaneous and it is, uh, I think, uh, fairly non-linear and asynchronous, which is I'm getting influences and I'm getting opinions about a, which brand to buy in a category or which categories to enter thrown at me as a consumer at all times. And if your brand isn't present in all of those touch points, you will drop out of the consideration set altogether. You know, and uh, like another thing to think about or what we notice is that once after the pandemic, I think you can classify behaviors into two parts, right? Mm -hmm. Like one is behaviors that you adopted because of the pandemic, right? Like because of the of the threat to your life and, mm -hmm. you know, all the, uh, all all the kind of restrictions yeah, that you had. And the other was change in the way of life, right? Like how you were living your life. And I feel like what we find now is behaviors that were linked to the pandemic, the health crisis, those are behaviors that are dropping off, mm -hmm. right? But behaviors that actually impacted the way of living in a positive way, those are continuing. So be that actually uh, just thinking about priorities differently, be that about consuming, um, uh, you know, online or moving to brands that are probably more value oriented than just um, you know, just on discount or without a point of view. All of those are things I do feel that will continue. Why do you so, think is that? Is because they contributed at creating a habit which yes. is now hard to break or is yeah. there any other reason? No, I, I feel like, uh, of course, I mean, you know, and habit creation leads, it's an automated response then, right? Like, so you start doing that thing again and again and again. But I think, I think what, what it, uh, what, what, like because you change the way you live, you discover new ways of living, right? Like shopping online. Mm -hmm. That in itself, at least in a market like India, was not as prevalent before the pandemic as it is today. So you were forced to break some of your old habits. And those habits that made sense to you, that you found, hey, it's like making my life really easy or why didn't I do this before? Those are the habits that have continued because you do believe that it contributes to save, uh, you know, saving time or effort or money or or, uh, you know, being part of a community, uh, it helps you uh, ha um, ha amplify the values that you believe in, all of that. 
agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I <laughs> have to agree. And, and I think uh, one of you know to, to pick up to begin where Anju left off. I think equally we've come to value even more sensorial experiences, mm. participative experiences, being in public, having conversations like this. We don't take those for granted yeah. anymore. If you look at large participative public events, whether they're concerts or marathons or, you know, um, literature fests or film fests, you'll see an unprecedented level of attendance, people wanting to go out and engage and be, as Anshu said, part of a community online, but part of a community offline as well. I guess everyone who tried to book a restaurant the last six months. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, we waited for one for one hour uh, last evening, right? So. <laughs> and is there any other habits that you think has been created through the pandemic? I think certainly the use of digital payments uh, has become much, much more ubiquitous across uh, socioeconomic strata. This was something that, you know, credit cards, digital payments, etc. This were restricted in developing markets, at least to the upper end of the of the income pyramid. I think that has filtered through very, very, very quickly, whether it is, uh, you know, buying a single unit of of, a, of something which which would otherwise require a lot of change or the fact that you can transfer money between people, um, you know, whether it's your cab or whether it's someone who works for you. I think that has now come to stay and will continue uh, and persist very, very, uh, for very, very long. Uh, even alternative uh, forms of uh, storing data, alternative forms of storing images, audiovisual content. I mean, you know, we've had the NFT wave come and go. Um, who knows what else? And of course, now that Gen AI is here, what that's actually piggybacking is the common man's comfort with using digital devices, right? Because you wouldn't have the adoption of Gen AI if I wasn't comfortable downloading apps and downloading stuff on my laptop. The fact that we now work with machines so easily and so fluently means that we are able to, the, the uptake of new technologies is going to increase as a result of that. Yeah, but Claudio, I think I also want to say that apart from the technology, I think the other big shift is that the consumer in itself, uh, in himself or mm -hmm. herself, uh, they've become more homogeneous across the globe. Right, mm -hmm. like because of social media, because like if you think of Gen Z, a Gen Z in India would be very similarly described as a Gen Z in the US or in Brazil or or whatever. So the language uh, and the conversations and, uh, you know, what they believe in or how they dress, uh, all of that is becoming very common. And I think that's that's another outcome of of the pandemic, right? Like there is a homogenization across cultures in terms of thinking, behavior, values. So like for instance, Greta Thunberg is known in India as much as she's known in Sweden or in other parts of Europe. So yeah. that's very, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, you briefly mentioned that and that was the, the, the last question I was uh, thinking of for today. And uh, if you take a look at the, at, at the program for these events or any other events uh, related to technology and data, uh, I guess ninety percent of the of the panels regards uh, regard AI. Mm -hmm. So I will have to ask you, mm -hmm. how do you use AI in your uh, everyday job? Well, you know, even before we get to our everyday job, I think what we've gone through in the last eighteen months from the pandemic and then leading out is this whole discovery of how you can combine different methodologies using AI because AI doesn't provide answers in and of itself; it provides cues to some of those things to really understand your consumer understand your future consumer, which is understand, understand your current consumer, but also your potential consumer as people. Combine that as Anju and her colleagues have so beautifully done with behavioral science, and then use human-centered design thinking to really uh, fuse these different methods together where it is AI-powered. So being AI-powered means you're able to scale faster, but also do it more precisely. 
the fact that you use behavioral science means you're able to understand the rational mind, but also the irrational mind. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you use human-centered design thinking is you get these insights, you get these ideas, you're able to convert them to transform your touch points as a brand and really respond and create new value propositions for new consumers that have emerged. Anjali, you want to talk about uh, how you've so elegantly combined these three? Yes, certainly. But before that, I just, just wanted to say if you think of AI, right? Mm -hmm. Like what you can't understand, but what you hear about in, you know, in big ways is often threatening, right? Like, so mm -hmm. I think I think we all started with a space of fear. Oh, it's going to take away your jobs. You know, AI means like uh, humans are not required. Or one Human day extinction even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even that, right? And then basically, I feel like we are at a place or at, at an inflection point where we're saying that, listen, we can work together, right? Like we can leverage each other's strengths and advantages. So for instance, uh, AI is able to provide efficiency. It's able to provide curation, but the creative element comes from, uh, you know, from the human being. So we can actually partner together. So I think, I think it's a, it's a very promising field. And what we've done, like, um, you know, along with the Tata group, uh, what quantum my company has done is to say, like looking at consumer acquisition, because, you know, mm -hmm. like we established right in the beginning, it's becoming more and more difficult and different. What we've done is really to say that how do you use the power of AI and combine it with behavioral sciences? Because, you know, at the end of the day, even today, the human is a really complex animal, right? Like, and I don't know as much data as you may have till you don't delve into the mind. I, I, I'm not sure the answers are going to be absolutely accurate. So, so what we've done, uh, you know, as part of our uh, study is to say, how, how might you identify the next customer through AI? So really scientific using um, associative mining and collaborative filtering. So, you know, uh, techniques in the AI space to accurately identify your customer. Then to use, uh, you know, uh, behavioral science models of persuasion to, to say, how do I speak to you? Once I've identified who you are, how can I woo you to come to me? So it's a, it's a beautiful combination of, you know, very disparate methods. And then we bring all of this together, you know, in a human human-centered design thinking workshop, right? Like, so uh, that's the method that we're using today. So it's not one or the other, but how do you combine the two to leverage the power that when both of them come together, it's really exponential, right? Like, so how do you leverage exponential power is uh, what we're looking at today. Without, without your costs increasing exponentially, I think, mm -hmm. more, more importantly. That's very important. Yeah. You have any experience with synthetic data as well? So I think when you're using synthetic data or you're using AI and you're trying to model personas, you're trying to model, you're doing lookalike modeling, you are in fact, when you're predicting, you are in fact using uh, something that is like synthetic data, right? Because you're predicting that a certain consumer will behave in the future in a certain way. Because the AI models based on past data only go so far. So the use of synthetic data is going to become more and more ubiquitous because you're going to try to predict what or simulate what a consumer might be like. And then you'll actually go out into the real world and find out whether you are wrong, whether your predicted values come true or no. So yeah, I, th I think it's early days in synthetic data. I think the validation of synthetic data before you begin to use it as a, uh, as a definitive methodology, the jury's still out. Hmm. I think, I mean, I feel like we should change the term synthetic. It sounds quite artificial, doesn't it? What would you call it? I don't know. Prosthetic maybe. data. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the best way to, cl to close the session. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks a lot for being here. It was Thank you, Claudio. Thank you. Pretty Thank insightful you, Claudio. indeed. Yeah, I love the conversation. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so See much. See you around. Thank you. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you.